On today's episode of the Dad Tired Podcast, I sit down with former NFL star Jason Brown to talk about what it looks like to be obedient to God even when it doesn't really make sense. Before we jump into that, though, I have two very quick announcements for you. Number one, we have moved our online Facebook community over to a new platform, which means if you have been wanting to join in on our community and our discussions that we have every week, but you are not on social media or you're trying to get off of social media, this is really good news for you. If you go to dadtire.com forward slash join, you can now jump into the private community. You don't have to have any social media channels or platforms or be part of any social media, anything. And yet you can still be part of our discussions every week. So we would love to have you come be part of that. Dadtire.com forward slash join. And you can jump into that today. I also want to thank my friends over at Backgate Prayers for sponsoring today's episode. We've worked with Backgate Prayers for many years now, and they are always a huge hit. Um, I know a lot of you guys want to be praying for your kids and with your kids, but sometimes you get stuck and you're just like... You know, I pray one time and then I just find myself repeating myself and I don't really know what to pray. There's a company called Backgate Prayers, a friends of ours that we've worked with for a long time. They create custom prayer cards that you can have pictures of your kids put on the front. They will do that for you. And then they will insert your children's names into these prayers. And they're all biblically based prayers. So you're actually praying scripture over your kids. You can put them on your desk or on your nightstand. And it's a constant and really beautiful reminder every day to be praying specific things over your kids. They even make them for grandkids or grandparents or for your spouse. If you want to get them for your spouse, it's a really, really, really good Mother's Day gift. Every time Dad Tired Guys get these for their wives every year for Mother's Day, it's always a huge hit. So highly recommend these. It's one of the best gifts that you can give to your wife. If you want to be like a winner on this Mother's Day and you feel like you're stuck, but you need some help, I'm helping you out, man. Mother's Day is very close. So make sure you get these for Mother's Day, but you need to get them quickly before you lose the chance to, you'll, you'll run out of time if you don't order them soon. So use the promo code DADTIRED, all one word. DADTIRED, they'll actually give you 10% off your Mother's Day order. Make sure you order them soon, again, because they have to print them and they make them custom for you. Backgateprayers.com and then use the promo code DADTIRED, you'll get 10% off. Again, that's backgateprayers.com and then use the promo code DADTIRED, you'll get 10% off. Let's jump into today's episode. Jason, so glad that you're hanging out with us today, man. I got a glimpse of your story. I just read like a little snippet of your story and I was like, man, I need to have this guy on our show and sharing your story with us. But before we jump into all that, I'd love for you just to tell us who you are and what you're up to these days. Yes. So my name is Jason Brown, uh, born and raised in North Carolina. A little uh, unique upbringing. Uh, God blessed me with some awesome talents to be able to play football. It took me on to my alma mater at UNC Chapel Hill, being drafted by the Baltimore Ravens in 2005, four years there, and then three years with the St. Louis Rams. And then God called me into full-time ministry away from football, and that's on a farm uh, out of all places. And so something that I knew nothing about, but but it was a tremendous leap of faith, and not just for for me, but, but for my family as well, the courage and the faith that my wife had. And now raising our family on a farm is pretty awesome. Man, there was so much there. (laughs) I want to unpack all of that. So let's tease out some of that before we get into like uh, what you're doing, I guess, right now, because that sounds so interesting. Let's go back a little bit. Tell me about your upbringing. Was your mom and dad both around? What was your childhood like? Yeah, definitely had both of my parents. They met in Washington, D.C. And my older two siblings, they they were born up there. And when it came time for me to be born in 1983, 
It's like, you know, the drug wars, the crack cocaine epidemic and whatnot. My mom said, look, this is no place to raise a family. We've got to move back to North Carolina. And so my father, he had a really good government job at the time that they wouldn't allow him to to receive his pension or retire. And also, he didn't know the job opportunities back here in North Carolina. So he decided to stay up there in Washington, D.C. and commute back and forth every other weekend. And so we saw our father four days out of the month, two weekends out of the month. And for my older brother and sister, you know, when they saw him, they said, Daddy, Dad, like they knew exactly who he was. And me, I, I'd look at him and like, who is that strange man that comes to the house like, you know, t- twice a month? And so this went on for almost 16 years. He didn't fully retire until I was 16 years old. And I tell you what, my upbringing, I knew I had a father and I knew that he loved us. I knew that he was providing for us, but he just wasn't in the home. All right. Like when I needed that comfort, when I needed to get my tail whooped. And so I I grew up with, with some really serious abandonment issues. And I promised myself, I said, and this is when I was like eight years old. I said, when I get older and I get a job, I'm never going to do that to my family. I said, I'm never going to choose money or career over my family. And I made that promise to myself when I was a kid. And, you know, providing for, for your family, it looks and takes so many different shapes and forms. And you know what? I don't hold that against my father because at that point in time in his life and with my parents and their marriage, he was doing the best that he knew how. You see what I mean? He was doing the best that he knew how to do at the time. And I kind of equate it to like that movie Fences with Denzel Washington, where Denzel Washington, he was the father figure and he was working 24-7. And his son, look, his son just wanted a daddy, all right? His son just wanted some emotional support. He wanted his father to be around. And when there was a breaking point later on, Denzel, he said, hey, I've been providing for you. I've been doing all this for you. He's like, and his son is like, no, man, in the end, all I wanted was you. All of this other stuff, I just wanted you. That's the feeling that I had when I was growing up. Yeah, man. I think there we talk a lot about this on the podcast, but just how I think there are a lot of guys who use the excuse of, I just want to provide a good environment for my, my kids and my wife. And so I'm just going to work really hard. And there's just such a fine line between overworking and abandoning your family and making sure that they're taken care of. That's a fine line. And I think if guys are totally honest, I do think there are guys out there who are overworking because they actually feel more accomplished at work than they feel at home. They feel more confident at work than they feel at home. And so they just use it as an excuse to really not have to be at home as much as possible. And so I think what you're saying is huge, man, that providing for your family is not always financial that your family has more needs than that. And uh, I love that you brought up the Denzel movie. I'm a Denzel Washington is my favorite actor and that movie was so well done. So uh, congratulations on making two good points right off the, right off the bat here. Okay. So you grew up, dad wasn't around a ton. Did you guys get to the spot later in life where you ended up getting closer? Oh yeah, of course. He finally moved in into the home when I was 16 years old. By then, look, I was all a full-blown teenager. I thought I was the man. Those next couple of years before I went off to college, it, it really wasn't a building type phase where, where you know there, there was the 
the redemption of our relationship, it, it was still you know fairly awkward. But it wasn't until the end of my football career where ultimately I had to draw closer to Jesus. I had to truly understand what loving relationships, what was all about. And it wasn't just between the relationship between me and my father. It was in my marriage and it was in with my children as well. And as much as I promised myself when I was a kid that I would never do that to my family, look, those generational curses and how history repeats itself, man, it is very tricky. You got to be very careful because when I graduated from UNC Chapel Hill, my wife, she was fortunate enough to be accepted into UNC Dental School at the same time. And everyone is saying, hey, you've got the opportunity to be, wow, like this awesome power couple and she can be a doctor dentist and, and you can pursue your dreams and be in the NFL, Jason. And the thing is, is that, man, I knew that we should have remained together. I knew that it should have been faith and family first, man, but the world was calling. And everyone that was talking to us in our ear, everyone that we thought at the time was giving us wise counsel, they were just pretty much saying that, hey, if you have the opportunity to do so, guess what? Make that sacrifice while you're young. And then, and really that sacrifice is putting family on the back burner. You see what I mean? And then you can come back after you've chased after the world and somehow try and put the family back together again. But guess what, man? That, that's a slippery slope and it's not easy. And it definitely doesn't work that way. Even though my wife and I, uh, Tay, who is, oh man, most awesome, awesome loving person in the world, the, the most awesome helpmate went when God made a helpmate for me. He broke the mold all over again. Let me tell you that right there. And, and so she was so awesome and I knew that she was worth it, man. I shut it down early. Got married when I was 20 years old and I was a baby. And of course, I, I didn't know everything of what love was then. It was still a very, very selfish type of love, but I knew that I was in it for the long haul and I knew that I was going to be in it to win it. But when I got to Baltimore, I was by myself and she was down in dental school. And the only reason that, that we thought that we could make it work is that we hadn't had any children yet. And so that, that was the only uncomplicated issue. But sure enough, 2007, our oldest and our firstborn, J.W. Jr., he was born. And that immediately made things complicated. And so ironically, I was commuting about the same distance that my father did when he was commuting, going back and forth between D.C. and North Carolina. I was just going a little bit further, just from Baltimore back to North Carolina. Here's the thing, is that when J.W., I don't even think he could walk yet. He was just a little bit more than a year old. And I was leaving to head back up to Baltimore, and I was dropping him off at the daycare. He knew that this goodbye what was different. And I don't know how, or maybe it was just me, but when I gave him a hug and a kiss and I placed him down on the floor, man, he scratched and clawed at the floor and he grabbed onto my pant leg and just screamed from the, I mean, from the depths of his soul, like I could understand him. And he was saying, daddy, don't leave me. All right. Like daddy, don't abandon me. And guess what? I shook him off. And I turned my back and I walked out that door and I drove on back up to Baltimore to continue playing football. And guess what? I cried the whole time of that trip. 
I cried the whole five-hour drive and, and just telling myself, Jason, you broke the very promise to yourself that you said that you would never do, which is, yeah, a long-distance family. You're choosing money over family. And I know for a lot of people out there, I know you say, man, shoot, man, you're playing in the NFL. You're making all of that money. And your son, he's one years old. He, you know, he's too young to understand. Guess what? When you get older, it's one of those lessons in wisdom that you don't learn in your youth. And you definitely don't learn it unless you've experienced that hurt and that pain of not only desiring a father, but knowing what it's like to be without a father. So it's something that God established, you know, the covenant of marriage and the covenant of family for you to have a daddy, for your father to be there. It was never meant to be on the shoulders of just the mother, the wife. It, it was always meant to have that balance of nurture between both parents. I imagine, man, that that was probably, you know, that you tell that story and that's a, it's a hard day, but I imagine that's probably eating away at your soul for weeks, if not months, if not years, as you're in a pretty big dilemma. I mean, you're in the NFL, you, from what I understand, were the highest paid center in the league. So you're, you know, accomplishing your dreams. You're providing financially really well for your family. Were you in the back of your mind as you're playing thinking, I need to quit this or how in the world am I supposed to quit? Like, what am I going to do if I leave? Like what was going on in your brain for like beyond that day, but for weeks and months? You know what, guys, you know, as young men, you do whatever you do to mask your emotions, to build walls, to fight back the pain. Sometimes, yeah, it erupts into bad behaviors, self-medicating in areas that may be self-destructive, you know, here and there. And of course, man, look, you look at most of the guys in the NFL right now, and it's not just a lot of those athletes. It's stereotypical for most of the culture. You step into a room and say, hey, how many of you in here has daddy issues? And man, a predominant number of the room, that they're going to raise their hand. It's a cultural issue. Family has been under attack. Marriages have been under attack. And Satan knows that, look, he's not attacking the mothers as much as he, he is attacking the fathers. The fathers who are supposed to be the shepherd over the home, the shepherds that are supposed to be the pastor, the priest, the, the prophets, the protectors of the home. Men in America, fathers are under attack and it's nothing but, but spiritual warfare. And so for me, brother, oh man, I don't even want to go into some of the horrible self-destructive behaviors, but praise God, we were able to reunite as a family. When I finished up in Baltimore and I moved to St. Louis and Tay finished up her, her dental school requirements, she graduated. So we reunited as a family, but then it's kind of like we're learning how to be a family all over again. And now it's the unique dynamic of, uh, <laughs> we both met while we were in college and we had no money. And now we have this, this fame and fortune. And, and I got to tell you what, man. Like money does not bring out the best in people, but most times it only magnifies and reveals much of what was there before. How did it do that in your life? Oh man. Like I said, running from, running from your problems. So 
we thought that purchasing a, a MTV crib style, you know, mansion would, would make us happy. And we thought that if we put on the facade that we were this happy family, you know, again, that that would make everything all right. And it, it definitely was not the case. I was believing all the lies that people were saying about me, that, oh, Jason, you're, you're such a great guy and, and whatnot. Man, honestly, I just, even though I'm an outgoing person, I didn't like myself at the time. It's like I wanted to be an introvert. It's like I just really wanted to just crawl into a, to just crawl into a shell. And on the flip side, and, and dude, like, I know it sounds so crazy, but most of these like big, you know, masculine, strong alpha male guys that you see out there in sports and entertainment and stuff like that, man, dude are some of the most broken individuals on the inside and dealing with, with so much pain and so many demons. And guess what? With everything that I had, fortune and fame, living in a mansion, more money in my account than I knew what to do with, guess what? I went to bed every single night stressed out of my mind. And I woke up every single morning stressed out of my mind. And the thing is, is that that was inside my own home where there was no peace. And it's like the demons were, were just tormenting me like night and day. But on the outside, put on this facade as though we're a happy family, especially when we go to church. Just put on this happy face that we're a perfect, happy family. But you know what? I didn't go to drugs. I didn't go to alcohol. Mostly of what I did was I just isolated myself. It was just being very, very selfish at the time. And the thing is, is that everybody thought that I was the most awesome, outgoing person in the world. And I knew how to put on the happy face when we left our home. But behind closed doors, man, it was just very cold. And my wife knew the, she knew the real me, all right? She knew just how how selfish I was. She knew that, hey, I didn't bow down and I, I did not submit to any, any authority, especially Jesus, especially Christ. And here's the thing. Jesus stopped me dead in my tracks one night. This was late 2011. And it's close to midnight, walking through our home. And Jesus stops me. And he says, Jason, today. And I'm like, nah, Jesus. I mean, no, nah, I mean, I, I'm happy just trying to figure this thing out. And, and you know, I, I'll repent. I'll come to you at a later time. And Jesus said, no, today. And he would not relent. And, and this is how much he loved me. He blinded me and he showed me a vision of my future that was so crystal clear and high definition. And he showed me the brokenness. He showed me the divorce. He showed me that I wasn't even in the same state as my wife and my children. They were like in a totally separate state. I wasn't able to hug them or hold them when I wanted to. And in the end, he showed me the weeping and the gnashing of teeth, me being down on my knees, being surrounded by demons, just, yeah, that they were just saying, Jason, you're so stupid. Like, look at what's become of you. All right. You fell for it. Just hook, line and sinker. You're so stupid. And I said, Jesus, no, not me. He said, yes, let's humble yourself and you repent right now. And I said, no, Jesus, you know, no, no, that, that's not me. He said, yes, that is you. 
And I started that vision when I was upright, all right, walking through through the house. And when I opened my eyes, I was down on my knees, sobbing and, and weeping in repentance. And, and it was the first time in my life where I had truly submitted myself before Christ. Here's what I told him. I said, I know that you can redeem my marriage. I know that you can restore my family. I said, I know that you can. I have faith that you can. Whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. You just say the words. I said, Jesus, if you save my family, if you save my marriage, I'll do whatever you want me to do. Just please tell me and I'll do it right now. And the response was, I heard an audible voice. And it was a little bit different than Jesus' voice. I just believe it was like from the Holy Spirit. And the voice said, pour it all down the drain. I opened my eyes again and I'm like, man, that that's quite odd and strange because I, I said, I'll do whatever you want me to do. That, that doesn't quite add up to what I'm asking you for. And again, the voice said, pour it all down the drain. And so now I'm really puzzled because I'm on my knees and I'm looking outside of a window. But then I turn around and look behind me and I say, oh, because I was on the knees in front of one of the bars in our home. And I'm not even a drinking guy, but if you got a bar, all right, the cool thing to do is to stock it with all of this top shelf liquor. And so I wasn't uplifting the name of of Jesus in our home. I was uplifting the name of Captain Morgan and Jack Daniels. And so that was just the bar on the main level in the house and the basement, man, that bar was almost 20 feet long stocked. I mean, to the max, even with a bottle of Louis the 13th, which at that time was like 1500 bucks right now, it's probably like 2,500, like $3,000. But in obedience, that's the key word, obedience. I snatched up a trash can and I started uncorking each one of those bottles and pouring them down the drain. And I'm filling up the trash can and the bottles, you know, they're clanking around. And all of a sudden my wife comes, you know, storming out the back bedroom. She's like, what are you doing making all this noise? The kids are upstairs asleep and she can see the tears and the snot flowing down my face. And my response to her, I tell her, I said, I'm pouring it all down the drain. And she's like, yeah, like I, I can see that. Like, why? Like, why are you uncorking all these bottles and pouring it all down the drain? And I said, because Jesus told me to. And she just looked at me sideways for a little bit because she had never heard me sing this tune before. All right. Like, I'm bad, bad Jason Brown, baddest man in the whole daggone town. You know the rest of the song. Meaner than a junkyard dog. Like, that That was me. And in all of my my arrogance, all of my pride, all of my selfishness, all of what I thought was my own strength, it was always being used against me because I'm still the strongest player to ever come through Carolina's football program. Benching well over 500 pounds, squatting over 800 pounds, power cleaning and split jerk over 420. And any room I walk into, I know that I'm just about the strongest guy in the room. And you know, with my degree from Carolina, guess what? I'm just about the smartest guy in the room as well. But guess what? With all of that, that worldly strength and what I thought what was worldly wisdom, it was just leading me astray the whole time. And me 
and my desire to be a control freak and, and wanting to to control my life and make all the decisions for for my life. And, and guess what? No matter how hard I tried, every result was leading to a total wreck, to a total disaster. And I tried harder. I'm still making a mess, uh, literally out of everything. And I, I know everyone has heard that that song, Jesus Take the Wheel, right? And it's one of those things where when Jesus finally does take the wheel, you have to get to a place of humility, submission, surrenderance. Like you have to sur- literally surrender with your hands up and say to him, dude, I know my life is a mess. Like no matter how hard I try, it's still a mess. And I can't do this anymore. Like, please help me. And like total surrender. And let me tell you what, it is the most liberating feeling that I've ever had in my whole life. All right. It is the most epic trust fall. Dude, I don't care what thrills are out there, whether it's skydiving or cliff jumping, doing all that crazy stuff. Guess what? There's not a greater experience than surrendering to Jesus and placing all of your faith and all of your trust in him and saying, dude, like you got it. And whatever you want me to do, I will do it. And here's the stupidest thing is that, man, the devil has us so wound up in all of these lies and deceit that thinking that, man, we can achieve all of this success and all of these things in our own might. And Jesus is like, dude, no, man. Like, what does it profit a man to gain the world and lose his soul? And literally without Jesus, it's all for nothing. Like all of this mess means nothing. All of this gain, the world, the riches, the accolades, they literally mean nothing without him. And then you literally have to re-educate yourself to then look at Jesus and say that in him, there is no failure. And don't get me wrong, since I've given it all up for Christ, and since I've forsaken all for Christ, walked away from the NFL, and walked away from multi-millions and millions of dollars, so I can move back to North Carolina and be a dirty farmer. And you know what? People call me crazy and people, they call me stupid. When I go and I speak to high schools, try and motivate the kids, they're like, man, you're stupid. Like they, they'll say it to your face, literally that bold. They say it to my face and I'm like, no kid. I say, kid, you, you have no idea. And no matter how much I try and tell them that, look, I've been there and I've done that. Money cannot buy you happiness. And still, everybody thinks that they're special. Everybody thinks that they're an exception to the rule. And you know what they say? Yeah, maybe not for you, but guess what? If I, if I had a whole lot of money, I'd be happy. And I'm like, wow, like how many people have to test and prove that theory out that it is completely wrong and that it utterly leads people astray? I did it, man. And yeah, that was me. I was there. At what point from that really supernatural experience that you had and your wife comes down, she sees you pouring everything out. How long was it from that moment 
to the moment where you actually quit the NFL? So God put uh, me and my family on the fast track. All right. There was some temptation briefly that following spring in 2012. But when I told God that I, I would run for him, when I told him that I would do whatever he wanted me to do, he put me on the fast track to really like, yeah, move my family in a drastic way away from the NFL and towards the farm. And so here's what took place. And here's what happened is he placed it on my heart to feed his people and to farm and to grow food. And I said, all right, God, well, you want me to do that? I'll do it for you. You provide a way, you know, for, for me to, you know, leave the NFL because at that time I still had two years left on my contract. And sure enough, man, like God got me fired. Our head coach, Steve Spagnola, he was uh, released from the St. Louis Rams at the time. They brought in Jeff Fisher. And I got a phone call from my agent saying that, hey, Jason, more than likely, they're going to clean ship of all the old veterans on the team. And, and your name came up. You're more than likely you're going to be released. And I'm like, really? He's like, he's like, yeah. So you're going to get a phone call probably the next couple of days. And I'm like, dude, I'm like, well, cool. I said, look, if they release me, I'll probably hang up my football cleats. I, I've got other plans. He's like, what? what are you talking about? He said, look, you still have a lot of good football left in you. He said, stop talking crazy. He said, I'm still going to work. I'm going to make sure I get you, you know, some workouts and land you on another team. And sure enough, Jeff Fisher called me up and I was fired. Instead of looking at that as a disappointment, man, I looked at it as a huge opportunity. I'm like, thank you, God. I want to be able to run for you faster than, than what I had actually anticipated. And then my agent calls me back up and says, Jason. I know you just got released, but and you're talking crazy about leaving the NFL. But guess what? I've got three teams that want to sign you to a long-term deal right now. And I'm like, what? Get out of here. And he said, man, you're still a good player. He said, look, the Carolina Panthers, they want to sign you to a long-term deal. The Baltimore Ravens, they want you back. And the San Francisco 49ers, they want to sign you to a long-term deal. And I said, no. He said, yeah. And Nobody at the time knew, except for me and my wife, that those were the specific three teams that I wanted to play for more so than anything. Nobody. That was my temptation. And we know that temptation does come from God. That that was literally Satan telling me, don't follow after God, all right? If you just bow down and worship me, I'll give you everything that you said that you wanted in the world. And I know, I know that we hear people that have sold their souls to Satan before, people that, that have signed a contract with the devil. And I know a lot of times we, we think that that's, the, you know, well, that, that's mysticism. You know, that's stuff that happens in, in the movies and Hollywood or whatnot, right? But, but guess what? That was my temptation. And it was very real. And for those specific three teams to offer me a contract and no other teams in the NFL, that's more than, than just coincidence or chance or, or happenstance. The odds of that happening is, wow, 31 times, 30 times, 29. It is in the tens of thousands for an offer like that just to even happen. And so I wish that I could tell you that I was perfect in my decision making that, that I was faithful, but guess what? I came that close 
to turning my back on God. After everything that God had just done and revealed himself to me and my family in such an awesome and a mighty way, after redeeming and restoring my marriage, and I fully given my life to Christ, I had gotten baptized all over again and fully recognizing, yes, just how awesome, just how awesome and worthy Christ is of our devotion. After all of that, I still came that close to turning my back on God and going back towards the world because that was something selfishly in my heart that I said that I had always wanted. And nobody on this earth knew it but Satan. Here's the crazy thing is that where people that, that you got to be careful, man, like you, you got to put on the whole armor of God because Satan knows your favorite color. Satan knows your favorite flavor of ice cream. Okay. Let me tell you what, and even especially where most men fall, like David, like King David and most men today, guess what? Whatever your type of woman is, Satan knows your exact favorite type. Did you understand what I'm saying? And you don't have to tell, this is the type of like crazy spiritual warfare that we're up against. And that's why I'm about to make a post on social media today. And I was thinking about it and I was saying to myself, if me being a football player, I know to put on all of my protective gear. I know to put on my helmet. I know to put on my, my shoulder pads, my mouthpiece, my, my cleats in order to protect me. If I know how to do that in the world, then spiritually, guess what? It would be very reckless behavior to step outside of your home, all right, and go out here without putting on the whole armor of God. And that's very real, brother. He is looking and he is waiting to catch somebody slipping so that you can fall into a trap or to a snare. Praise God, man. I came that close, but I overcame that temptation and I kept moving in the right direction. And that's ultimately, we made it back to North Carolina, amen. And we purchased a farm and it's called First Fruits Farm. And my wife and I, we, we made a covenant with God. We said, Whatever land you bless us with, God, we are going to name it First Fruits Farm, and we're going to give your people, our neighbor, we're going to bless them with the first fruits of whatever is grown from the land. That's amazing, man. I want to, as I was reflecting on your story there, I think that a lot of guys would feel like it would be a challenge for them to see that those offers from those three teams in the NFL, you know, it'd be easy to confuse it and think, well, this is just God opening doors. And so I think it's just so helpful how you frame that and how the enemy knows he's going to be so sneaky and sly in the way that he knows how to tempt us. So I really appreciate your vulnerability in that and sharing that. That's a lot of wisdom, man. Talk to me about once you decided to leave the NFL, you've now purchased the farm, you've got First Fruits Farm. Tell me about life now. What does life look like for you now post-NFL with the farm? What are you doing these days? I tell you what, there's not a better place to raise a family than on a farm. A farm is, is the most awesome place to raise a family. We feel God speaking to us every single day through his creation. If God placed Adam and Eve in a garden and he told them to tend to the garden and just imagine what, what that would look like, well, what it would look like to practice and exercise stewardship, to practice and exercise d- dominion 
on a daily basis, you know, to see God's miracles just perform right there in front of your face where you're reaping what you sow every single day. You're sowing seeds and you're reaping a blessing. You're reaping a harvest. And not only that, you know, me being a provider, dude, like it's the most awesome and epic way to, I show my kids, look, we're growing food and I'm bringing the food in the house and we're cooking it and we're placing on the table. It's God's blessings just being manifest literally, but before our, our eyes. And then the gospel is made so much more clearly to see for my children. When they see these things on a daily basis and, you know, Jesus, look, he talks about, you know, these parables and these metaphors and how the kingdom of heaven is like this. And many times he, he used agriculture as metaphors. And I'm able to, to show my babies that on a daily basis, this is what the kingdom of heaven looks like, that this is how the kingdom of heaven operates and we're doing it. And so it gives me so much hope and so much confidence, especially in today's world, especially in a falling world that, that we live in, that myself and my family, we can keep the faith. You know, we can continue to be encouraged through all of these trying times, as dark as the world can be right now. And also through our ministry, practically what it means to love your neighbor. Look, man, Jesus, he made it very simple for us all. He said, love your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, with everything you got, all your strength. And the second commandment is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And so I tell my babies, look, we're out here on this farm and we're working in obedience. This is the call that that Jesus gave me, you know, you're a father. And I said, look, I'm just trying to be obedient. They see the the humility that, that I put on every single day. But not only that, they see the love that we're sharing with our neighbors, the love that, that Jesus calls us to share. And yeah, with all of our neighbors, you daggone right. Like there's no discrimination with people that don't look like us, whether they're black, white, brown, you name it, you daggone right. What if someone doesn't have the same religion as us? Guess what? He called us to love those neighbors as well. All right. Everybody is our neighbor. And when they see that gospel being played out in such a practical manner, but all the follow through and the obedience that, that goes that goes along with it, it gives me hope and encouragement that for the next generation, you see what I mean? Yeah. What, tell me practically what First Fruits does. I know that you guys, you know, it's cool to have a farm and you're, you're out there on your, you know, taking care of it, tending to it yourself and you got your kids. How many kids do you have now, by the way? We have eight children. Our, our firstborn, he's 13 years old right now. So yeah, I've got a full-blown teenager and our youngest uh, just turned one back in December. Ultimately, it is very simple. We grow, we harvest, and we give. Over the past five years, we've grown, harvested, and donated more than a million pounds of food right here at First Fruits Farm. Oh my gosh. And a lot of the labor you know, comes from me and my family, but man, we have work of family, friends, and volunteers that come to the farm regularly to help us to labor and love. We have so many unique visitors especially when it comes time to harvest our sweet potatoes in the fall. We'll have several, several hundred volunteers and people that come out then. Year to year, we might have a couple of thousand volunteers that come out to visit the farm. 
it's an awesome time for fellowship. But also, guess what? Bring your work boots and, and your gloves because we're getting to work. <laughs> Who are you giving the food away to? Man, everyone who is needy in our local communities, you'd be surprised to know just how much hunger there is like right here around us. And I know most people think about third world countries, there being hunger and starvation, but North Carolina ranks uh, 10th in the nation as far as food insecurity, you know, meaning that in many counties, one in five children don't know where their next meal is going to come from. Some counties, it's as high as 25%. What well, One in four children don't know where their next meal is going to come from. It's a huge opportunity to, to share the gospel and the love of Jesus Christ. Man, dude, I, I, you make me want to come out there and put my work boots on and come spend some time seeing what you guys are doing firsthand, man. That That sounds amazing. I think I'm just so encouraged by your story, man. I think a lot of guys, you know, they hear the first part of your story and you talk about how money is not what brought you happiness. You didn't feel like you were living a life of fulfillment. And to a lot of guys, I think in the back of their mind would say, well, yeah, it's easy for you to say you, you've got millions, right? You've got millions stashed up in your bank account. So it's easy for you to say that. But for a guy who gave it all up and we didn't even get to the story, I think I read in your story that a lot of that money that you made in the NFL was gone, right? Or you, you lost a lot of that. Am I correct in that? Yeah. So I, I detail all of that and centered. That's my testimony. I prayed to God for a testimony and I prayed that God would write it in a way that only he could do it because ultimately he, he is the author. He, he is the creator. And, and let, let me tell you what, we've been through some ups and some downs and God has revealed himself to us in such an awesome and a mighty way. But here's the miracle through it all. God did it in such a way, just like with Gideon and the Bible, whereas in God called us to a farm to grow and to give and to help be a blessing to our communities. And me, I thought that I was going to do it, oh, with my bank account. I thought I was going to do it with my NFL savings of those remaining millions. And God said, no, uh uh-uh. God did it in such a way where I couldn't rely on my bank account any longer. I could not rely on money any longer. I had to get back down on my knees and I had to look up to heaven and I had to cry out for help. And let me tell you what, we are attached to a kingdom with unlimited resources. Let me tell you what. God is batting a thousand. Every prayer, I have a long laundry list of prayers, things that I've needed, okay? That things that I don't know how we were going to be able to survive, how we were going to be able to, to move forward. And I prayed to God in faith. And guess what? Literally like, like clockwork. And I'm talking about real quick man, help was on the way, man, doors were opened, prayers were were answered, the equipment that I needed, it just manifest and just appeared like, man, like just perfect strangers, people that I didn't even know, they were calling me up and literally telling me that God placed it on their hearts to bless me with exactly what I prayed for. And they didn't know me. They had no idea what, what I prayed about, but Man, God placed it in their hearts. And let me tell you what, that's how awesome God is. And the relationship that I have right now with Abba Father, 
the relationship that I have right now with, with my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, I wouldn't trade that for anything, not for all of the wealth, the money in the world, because guess what? I've been there, done that. I wouldn't trade it for anything. I know who my Redeemer is. I know how awesome and how worthy he is. And let me tell you what, ask me how I sleep right now. I sleep like a baby. Guess what? I work harder now than I ever did playing professional football. My body gets beat up more now than I ever did playing football. I have more responsibilities right now with my family, with a farm, a full ministry, everything that I've got going on. But ask me how I sleep right now. Brother, I go to bed every single night with peace and joy on my heart. And I wake up every single morning with peace and joy. But but it's a peace and a joy that doesn't come from this world, comes from the inside and nothing can take it away. Reminds me of that verse where Jesus says, the peace I give to you, the peace I leave with you is not of this world, right? That's that that deep shalom that you're talking about, that inner soul peace that nothing in this world can provide. Amen. Uh, Jason, I'm so grateful, man, that you took some time to share a glimpse of your story. I know that you have a book that has uh, just about to be released called Centered. And uh, you share a lot more of your story there. We would highly encourage all the guys listening to this to go pick up that book, Centered, Trading Your Plans for a Life That Matters. Brother, I am so grateful, man. You've pointed me closer to Jesus. You've been encouraging to me. I know you've been encouraging to a lot of guys. So thank you for spending some time with us today. God bless you, brother. Keep the faith, man. Thank you, man. 